You guys may remember this statement, and say it with me if you know the statement. It's, honesty is the greatest what? Okay, some of you did not hear the statement before. So let's say it out loud together like we've heard it. Honesty is the greatest policy. I think that's some biblical truth for us today. And I want to be transparent with you, all right? It's easy to come to church, specifically Ohana Church, and you may not know where we stand uh, mythologically, theologically, philosophically, and I want to share with you guys who we are as a church. In fact, if you've been to our one of our four weeks or all our four weeks membership class called Next Steps, would you quickly raise your hand? Yeah. So you guys know some of the things that I'm about to talk about. And some of the things, we, more than anything, we need to know is that we are a family. Can I get a witness, right? And fam, if there's anybody we can be honest with, it's Ohana. And so I wanna, one of the things we did not do well in the first, four, first uh, two years of our plant is that we were still discovering who we were as a family. And I feel like four years into it, we got a little grasp of who we are as a church and who we aren't as a church. Can I get a witness, right? And so I want to give you seven. They're not in order, but I want to give you seven things that we are. Number one, we are a Southern Baptist church. Now, people get surprised. When, well, you guys are Baptist? Well, not just Baptist. We're Southern Baptists, meaning that like our heritage of our denomination comes from Augusta, Georgia. Some of you haven't passed Hawaii, you know what I'm saying? But I, I even lived in the South. My wife is from Tennessee, and I got to go to Augusta, Georgia a couple of times, but our denomination started in the mid-1800s, and one of the things we're known for as Southern Baptists is exactly what happened in the South in the mid-1800s. The Southern Baptists, people that loved Jesus, people that shared Jesus, owned slaves, now, we know that is ungodly. We know that doesn't come from the Lord, but that was part of the culture and context. And so we've had to repent from that as Southern Baptists. Let me tell you, you're not going to find a perfect denomination. Everybody has failures in their denomination because everybody has human in their denominations. And if you are human, you're short of God's glory. And that's the reality. And so I want to share with you, we are Southern Baptists. We aren't a Pentecostal church. We aren't an AG church, Ascended of God. We aren't a Foursquare church. We aren't a Methodist church. We aren't a Presbyterian church. We aren't a Methodist. Though we have things in common, we are Baptists at the core. In fact, we believe in the Baptist faith and message as our doctrinal stance. So you can go on our website and see what that means. It tells you exactly what we believe, primary beliefs and secondary beliefs. But secondly, we are a Reformed church. Now, there's not much Reformed churches in Hawaii. Let me tell you something. We aren't that much out there. In fact, on this island, there's only three Reformed churches. All right, that's on this island, and they're all on the east side. Now, what does that mean that we are reformed? We believe in, in monergism. We do not believe in synergism. Monergism means that God alone saves. Synergism says that God needs human help to save themselves. So we are fully reformed in that belief. What we're not saying is that you need to be Calvinistic. All right, that you need to have all five points of Calvinism down and all. No, if you come from an AG church, you guys know what church I grew up in, anybody? A Pentecostal holiness church. You may wonder why we got some excitement in here, right? 
So we have some cultural excitement in there. I was in that church, but I got saved in a Baptist church. And there's some things on both spectrums that we can enjoy together, but we are very reformed in our theology. So you will hardly see Kahu preach on free will in our church because we believe in monergism. And I say this because I don't want you to come to one of our uh, membership classes and say, oh, I didn't know you guys were reformed. Let me just get it out there. We're reformed. Okay, we're a monergism church, meaning God, mono, singular, only him, right? God alone is sovereign, completely. He submits to nobody because he is what? God, all right? And so you may say, well, I come from an AG church. I can't be a part of this. That's a pit from hell, all right? You can be a part of this family. Why? Because part of God's gospel is diversity, and part of the gospel is a journey. We're not all there. We're still figuring out what it means to be a church at Ohana Church. Number three, we are complementarianness. All right? Then, oh, wow, that's a long word, Kahu. Just use the first half of it. We complement one another in the roles of manhood and woman as women. But, but though we are equal, we believe we are equal in God's eyes, but we're distinctive in roles. All right, so let me break that down for you. Both man and woman are made equal in God's eyes. However, our roles and the functioning and distinction of our roles are both in the house and in our church totally different. Let me start with the men. Men, you are called to spiritually lead your ohana. Like, you don't have to wait for your wife to get home from work to start the Bible study. You need to start it right away. That's what it means to spiritually lead your wife and your family. Now, we live in a matriarchal society in, in Hawaii where women lead everything. You look at our last queen, Queen Lily Okalani, who was gospel-centered, who loved the Lord Jesus. We look at her, and women, you think you're the model of your home. Aole. True spiritual leadership is through, listen to me, the males. Now, that doesn't demote women. That does not make you feel belittled. It's the way God designed the church. Let me tell you one reason. Why do you think divorce happens a lot now? Because they have a bad biblical view of how a man should act and how a woman should act. Therefore, that's why we have messed up views. That's why we have homosexuality. Because the man won't take the place that the man should take. And the woman will take the place the way the woman. Oh, you're talking about this today, Kao? Why not? We're family. Family should speak to each other the way God designed for family to speak to one another. So we complement one another that way. Same thing like football. I'm not going to ask the big, overweight, offensive lineman to, to, get, to be the quarterback. Why? He probably could carry three guys down the road, but he'll be done for all four quarters because he's tired, right? We have distinctive roles, and that's how we complement one another. That goes for the church, too. You will never, as long as Kaho Marcus and I are elders of this church, you will never see a woman as Kahu in our church. Oh, that's so harsh, Kahu. Well, read your scriptures. Verse Titus and First and Second Timothy preaches on the role of a kahu. An elder is because is all man driven. Well, we look down. It's not that women. You should love it that way, women. Give it on. Give it to the man. 
And listen to me, if women fail, it's only because man has not taken the proper role. We blame Eve for eating the fruit first, but guess who was there that didn't do nothing? Hello, man. And I hear it all over social media. When a woman does not feel love, the woman, instead of going to God, go to social media. I read it all day long. I wish I was appreciated. I wish I was this. I wish I was that. And man, you start to do that too. Because we have an identity crisis. Circumstantial theology will get us in trouble. When we define our relationship with God on our circumstance, then we define our relationship to God what God did not intend it to be. We need to be clear on this. Number four, we're gospel-centered. Meaning we love to talk about Jesus. Can I get a witness, right? This means that we also like to talk about man's ruin in sin and desperate need for Jesus. Our goal in every sermon, think about it. When we preach every Sunday, we're going to talk about Jesus. Even if it's through the Old Testament, all right? Because the Old Testament is all about Jesus. And so we want to be clear that we're going to be a, a, a church that talks about a high view of God and a low view of you. We're going to be that church, all right? And let me tell you, this church is not for everybody, and I'm okay with that. That's why there's great gospel-centered churches all the way that can fit your need at the time of your need. But let me tell you, if you're the same old Christian you was 10 years ago, you're missing out on the true gospel. The gospel changed. I think Coach Jordan Loeffler, our offensive line coach, said it best to our football players. He says, if you're never challenged, you will never be changed. And that's what the gospel should do. Being gospel-centered is being challenged. Even if you have a lifestyle that you know is contrary to the word of God, challenge it. Question it. Do your research. Ask questions. Why not? Because that's where we fall when we think we know it all. Even in my own self, the degrees I hold now as a Hawaiian, as a Kanaka, know me nothing. I still got to learn to the day I die because God chose the gospel for us to learn that way. Number five, we're church planters. We love church planting. In fact, in the last, in the last uh, four years, we've planted nine churches today. We asked God to help us plant 10 churches in 10 years. Well, I think we asked God too little because it's only been four years, and God has planted nine churches through the fellowship. Why plant churches? Because there's places around the world, and even in Hilo, that need gospel-centered churches. They need evidence in the community where they are. They need to have a presence here. They need to have the presence around the world. People need to know Christ through your fellowship. So church planning is a means and not the end. Church planning is, I believe, the goal, a means to the goal of fulfilling the Great Commission. If God says go make disciples in all nations, he means it. He means it. He means it to go. And for us, it's Japan. It's starting right there. Less than 0.3% considers themselves believers in Jesus. That means if 127 million people took their last breath today in Japan, they will spend eternity in hell because they rejected the gospel. But they didn't say nothing, Kyle. You don't have to say something to reject the gospel. You can come to church every Sunday, and you could still reject the gospel. Why? Your lifestyle. Your behavior is not lining up with truth. And number six, we are a sanctified driven church, meaning that we all have issues and Christ is the answer to them. What do I mean by that? We're not perfect. We aren't perfect. We have issues. 
I know in the core of my heart, I am an addict. Whatever, even in ministry, even being a pastor of a church, I am in an attic. What do I mean by that? I am addicted to helping people out. And sometimes people don't need to be helped. Sometimes they need to wallow in their mess so that God can do what only God can do that I cannot. Why? Because God gets the praise. God gets the glory. I pray I forget about after this generation. No, seriously, I'm not trying to be over humble. I pray nobody remembers me because my name does not matter. Jesus. I want to be clear about that, that we're a sanctified, driven church, but we also deny as a sanctified, driven church because God is a forgiving God and a loving God that we can sin and do whatever we want. We deny that. We accept that if Jesus is truly in us, then he will fulfill and be faithful to finish the work he started in and through us to the glory of his name. No matter what. And lastly, we believe in church discipline. We believe in formative church discipline, meaning regular chore work. Can I get some amen in that? Yeah. Like, like this is chores right now. Right? We're we focusing on the organic heart of man in this room. This is the easy stuff, right? Like we're reading the word together. We're going about to read the word together. We're worshiping together. That's chores, right? That's the daily routine that we do as Christians. But we also do corrective discipline. What do I mean by corrective discipline? If someone is in sin in the church, we're going to announce, we're going to correct that. If you're in sin, in fact, I say this, if you did not know, I read this every time I get up here on stage. And it's a, just a letter to myself from 2 Timothy 4.2. It says, Kahuzik, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. You guys ready for the main words now? Listen to this. Reprove. Ah, that don't feel too good, right? Rebuke. Whew, you're getting on my toes, Jesus. And exhort. With, here, here's, here, here's the challenge for some of us. With complete patience and Teaching. What, what, what am I saying? That if you're in sin in this church, we're going to correct you, but we're going to be patient with you. And this is what I would say. For some of you who have been corrected in this fellowship and you still come back, praise God for you. Praise God for you. Why? Because you understand the heart of the gospel is not to be divisive against you, but to restore you, to reconcile you, to reprove you, Right? To make you understand that though you are falling short, God is faithful to complete what he started. I'm telling you, the reason why people come back and they all shame or they walk in the churches, they, they, they will blame their sin on the church's sin. They'll say, this church are hypocrites. So are you. And that's why we need each other. Hypocrites together has one thing in common. We need Christ. We need Christ. You have to stop going to churches that make you feel good about your sin. You have to go to churches that make you understand sin is not like candy and diabetes. Sin will cancer you to death. Sin will separate you from God, and you need a message that can save you from damnation, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the truth. You need to hear that message. You need to hear it clearly every week, every day. Why? Because if we don't understand the wages of sin, we will not understand the gift of God. 
Our sin separates us from him. So we believe in these seven things, and I want to make sure that you understand, if you don't come back moving forward, I'm okay with that. I'm just porno with that we're being honest together. That's all I would want it. I would have rather, and I had some brothers until I went to the mainland that told me, Zeke, it's not about you, bro. And that hurt my feelings. What do you mean? If you didn't have me, you wouldn't have a keyboard player in your band. No, no matter, God go replace you, bro. Right? Just like football, sports, you are replaceable. God does not need us. He is just the way he is. That's what makes the gospel honor. Though he's just the way he is, he chooses to let us be a part of his narrative, y'all. What a blessing. What a joy. And so, so we get back to our sermon series called Rising Tide. We're going through a verse-by-verse study to the book of Acts. In fact, by the end of this month, Pauhana, book of Acts. Going to get some glory up in there, right? Three, exactly three years. And some of you have been with us from the start. to Some of you have come back. Here's the joy about being in an expository preaching church, all right? We get to journey together through the gospel. We, need to, we get to understand the context of the gospel. And let me give you some background in our series today. Paul is on his way to Rome. Winter is around the corner, and he's encouraged by the captain of the ship to dock because he believes they were about to enter a storm. But they did not listen to Paul. All right? They did not listen to Paul's advice. Why? Because Paul was a prisoner. Right? He was at the lowest chain on that ship. And Paul, with great godly advice, said, brothers, if you guys don't stop right now, we're going to enter one storm, bro. And when that storm whack us, all right, it's going to take not just the cargo's life, but our life. And what they did, like any captain, they would listen to protocol. We're going to listen to the main guy on the ship. And the main guy on the ship says, let's continue. Let's continue to, to move forward. And so they move forward, and we get in a scenario that we can respond two ways. They rejected Paul's advice, but here's the two ways. We can either give up on hope or we can trust in hope. Are you with me? So turn to the book of Acts chapter 27, and as you get there, would you stand in the reading of God's word? This is one of the things we've adopted since I got back from the mainland. I love the joy that we get to stand for God's word. This is something practiced in the Jewish culture as well. Whenever there was the reading of the word, everybody would stand in reverence and in awe of God's glory. On the ship, it starts in verse 13. Luke accounts this as a first-person experience. He says, now when the south wind blew gently... Supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a temp- temptuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and the cloud not faced the w- and when the ship was caught and cloud not faced the wind, we gave way to it and were driven what? Along. So the wind took control of the ship. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. And hoisting it up, they used supports to undergrid the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground on the citrus, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jet send the cargo, meaning throw that joker off, all right? 
And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last what? Say that word with me. Abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and inquired this injury and loss, incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the what? Can I get a hallelujah out there, right? For this very night there stood before me, here we go, an angel of God, to whom I belong and I whom I what? Worship. And he said, do not be afraid. Paul, you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms, which is feet, 20 feet of sea. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms, all right? This is like 100 plus of feet, all right? And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for a day to come. You want somebody's prayer life to be changed? Put them on a ship in a storm. Isn't that true for all of us? When we pray, is when we are in agony and in need of God, right? Let me read verse 30. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, giving thanks to God in the presence of all he had broke it and began to eat, meaning he did the Lord's Supper with sinners. Can I get a witness, right? And they ate later. Then they all were encountered. They all was encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. God, thank you so much. I know there's a lot of people in here that need clarity. We may use our physical memory as an excuse not to understand the text. So I pray that your Holy Spirit will give us utterance today. Spirit of God, bring back to remembrance, as the Gospel of John says, to understand this long narrative. Help us to identify why we need you, Jesus. In your name we pray. And God's Ohana says, amen. Amen. So we learned a couple weeks ago that these men have rejected Paul's Manao. 
Paul's advice. And today I want to look at three things that will help us identify what happens when you reject godly advice. I want to see the opposite spectrum. How many of you, right, you received counsel, manao, advice from somebody, which was good godly advice, then you chose to do the opposite? Would you raise your hand, right? Amen. So we got half of you who are perfect saints in here. Praise God, right? None of you, right? None of you do everything perfectly well. Well, the truth of the matter is there is a consequence when we disobey or we dishonor or we reject godly advice. I can tell you right now, some of you who are still in the behavior pattern that you are in that we've discussed one-on-one are still rejecting advice. And when you reject advice specifically from godly people, you're rejecting God's advice. The way God keeps you in check is that he used godly people to point you to Christ through the preaching of the word. That is why every message should cut. Every message should cut the hot. You know why? Because God does some great things with healing. He prunes the, bar, the person. He restores the person. He reconciles the person. So, so when we reject godly advice, here's the three things that happen. Ho, mau, kau, kau. Number one, say it with me. We earn our failures. Now, I want you to say it loud as if you know what I'm talking about, okay? One, two, three. We earn our failures. It is so true. We look at it, verses 13 to verses 20. We start off in the first verse of verse 13. It begins to talk about these men's rejection of godly advice. And these are the words that they said. In verse 13, it says, supposing they had obtained their own purpose. Meaning that they decided to do what they decided to do because that was their way and not God's way. Now, would they say that out literally? No. Who would ever say that against a holy, righteous God, right? We had some Jewish believers here. Not just Christian believers, but Jewish believers who believed in God, right? But they believed that the manao they had in their education and experience was that they should have left the port of Fairhaven. But when they left Fairhaven, they got in more trouble. They did not listen to godly advice, so they rejected godly advice, and they earned their own failure because here are a couple things that took place, and some of these notes is not on the screen, but it's on our, our Bible app this morning. Here, I want to go verse by verse what they experienced. Number one, they experienced a storm. Paul told them not to go, stay back, and everything Paul said came to pass. They experienced a storm. Number two, verse 15, the storm took over the ship. Number three, verse 16, the crew secured the boats. Why did they fasten the boats? Because they needed plan B if something happened. You know, every ship has rafts. These were those boats, rafts, to help them preserve beyond the big ship. Ship. Next step, verse 17, the storm continued to get even stronger. How many of you would say in your life, right, because you rejected godly advice, your issue just got more bigger? That's what the storm is doing. The storm continued strong, verse 18 to 19. It said that the crew started throwing off their cargo, the things that they needed, because they were so dependent on the boat being safer, so they had to let go wait because water was coming into the boat. Verse 20, it was dark for days, and the crew was discouraged. Could you imagine? 
Anybody of you saw the movie Life of Pi? If you did not watch that movie, go watch it. It will bless your heart. It's, con- it's this text all over again. An Indian boy is trapped on a small little raft with a tiger. All right? But what nobody knows that before that tiger was present in the boat, there was a zebra, there was a monkey, there was a hyena, and every one of them tried to eat each other. Right? This is what we call hell. Right? Hell on water. Poor thing, this little boy. Like, I wanted to stop the movie because it just looked bad. Like, I was discouraged by it, but I had to persevere. I started the movie. I got to persevere. What's, what's the message in it? Here's the message. When you receive bad, when you, don't, when you reject godly advice, you experience your failures. One of uh, members of our church told me this a couple years ago when I was counseling them. They said, Kao, you got the worst job. I said, Why? Because people ask for your mana'o, and then they reject it. It's true, but that's not just me. That's life. That's life. And here's the biblical truth for all of us in this text. It is po- it's possible that we can fall into the temptation of mistaking our own ambition for God's will. Listen to me. You may think that your way is the best way. All right? You may think that your way is the best way, but the ultimate end, listen to me, your way is the worst way. That's the reason why you are in financial debt today. That is the reason why you have relationship issues today. That is the reason why you have all this chaos in you. And what you'll do, you will limit your issues and justify your current issues because you have a house over your head, you have food and all that. Well, spiritually, you are dead. And, and, and we earn this. We see it all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 where Adam and Eve earned their failure. What did they do? God told them not to eat of this certain tree, right? I mean, think about it. Adam and Eve got to walk with God physically, got to talk to God, got to commune with God. And God gave them best advice, right? Do not eat of this tree. And what happens? The serpent comes up. He deceives the woman. And then the man, they eat of the tree. And what, ha- what does sin does? Sin makes us hide from God. So what do they do? They cover themselves up with fig leaves, right? And God asks a rhetorical question. Adam and Eve, where are you? You really think God is asking where they are? It's rhetorical. No. God has defined the response of our failure. God has given opportunity for us to respond to our failure. Ohana Church, where are you? Where are you spiritually? What is the church like? Is the elders preaching the word of God? Is they, if they, are they living by example? Because here's the deal. It is even possible for us to be a church and think it's God's way and it's our way. And the way we measure that is here. Are we Christ-centered? Are we gospel-centered? Because there is a real challenge in this looking forward. So again, this, here, here's the other example. When we think of this text, it's the high view of God and the low view of man. We, we, we operate differently. We would see, man, this is what this, it's about me, this text. No, it's about God. It's about Christ. You're the problem. Right, we can point the finger, you know, when you're driving, and one of your brothers cut you off, right, and all that, and then you'd be like, oh, I wish he would, right? 
I wish he would. Hey, hey, your sin is just as great as him cutting you off. And what happens, we, we will self-justify all these ideas, and we will just say, hey, God, uh, I got it. I got it out of control. And then we lose all credibility. Listen to me. Holman commentary says that, that it was hell on water, but the storm was so intense, Holman said, that this basically made them give up on life. Give, life, give up on life on each other. And this is what happens when we feel we give up up. 